0: Alright, so last week we finished up Daniel chapter 2, and this week we're going to be entering into Daniel chapter 3, which begins an entirely new narrative in the book of Daniel, and in fact it's one of my favorites. And when I was preparing the message uh, for this week, I thought that I would accomplish chapter three in one week. But now that's turned into a three-part message. So get ready; it's going to be three parts. Hopefully, I can keep it at that, and there won't be any more. But I think that you will really appreciate the breakdown of this message into three different parts because there's so much here that I think is relevant to the times that we're in right now and what it means to walk a life of faith in a world that oftentimes is lacking. As I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of by a moment in history that my good friend Roger shared with me. And if you didn't know, in 1933, in Germany, the German Workers' Party, later known as the Nazi Party, elected an individual to be the Chancellor of Germany. This was none other than Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler gave himself a name that he wanted to be known by, and that name was the Führer. And in his time, it meant the leader, but not just the leader, but the principal leader. The leader that is going to be ushering in this new age that he envisioned for Germany, and not just Germany, but the world. There was a brave man, though, when hearing about this message, who went on the radio. And he's a hero of mine. You've heard me mention him before. And his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And a young pastor and theologian goes on the radio in 1933... Just a couple days after Hitler goes into power, and he begins to preach a message over the radio waves about how there is a greater Fuhrer, that there is a greater leader out there, and of course, who was he talking about? That Jesus Christ is the greatest leader, that there will never be a leader greater than him. Halfway into his message, all of a sudden, the radio cuts out. I wonder why. It's thought that Bonhoeffer's message was the first example of the Nazi party canceling and suppressing truth. And as you would know, Bonhoeffer would later give his life to the cause of stopping Hitler and would die in a German prison camp for his beliefs. I share this story with you because I think All throughout history, there are always people who try to command our respect, and not just our respect, but our worship. And as we enter into Daniel chapter 3, we're going to find ourselves with a similar story. We're going to see a story of a king who wanted his people to worship him. And you see, I think this is so important for us to understand, especially within the climate and the world that we live in today, that who deserves our worship? You know, oftentimes I think when we think of these words like worship, we think maybe of what we're doing about, what we're doing right now in a Sunday service, but worship is so much more than just singing a song. Worship is about where we set our hearts and our minds to and who we give the supreme place within our hearts. So it matters how we worship and who we worship, and hopefully today we will take a look at what are we worshiping. Because here's the truth, church. There are probably more things in your life that you are worshiping then you realize, and I'm not just talking about political systems or leaders, but really the many areas of our lives that we commit our hearts to. So to help us look at that, let's go ahead and read Daniel chapter 3 together. I'll read aloud. You follow along silently. I'm going to read verses 1 through hopefully 7 today, but for this first section, we'll read 1 and through 3, okay? So it says here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, Magistrates and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. You know what's interesting about this? Chapter is oftentimes we hear this story in Sunday school, right? I know for myself, that was the first time that I heard this story. And this story is what is famously called the fiery furnace. And it takes place in this portion of scripture. That, and I know many of you have probably heard this story before, but hopefully what we'll learn today is a little bit different than maybe what we've learned at Sunday school. Although I'm sure Michaela maybe covers some of this stuff better than what I got at Sunday school. At least, I think that's what she tries to do. Well, this story is interesting, though, because as we looked at last week's message, what happened as we were reading chapter 2? We saw an amazing act of God, that God intervened in the life of Daniel and his friends to do what? To help liberate them, but also to give a message to King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the conclusion of that chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled in many ways by the God of Israel. In fact, he gives lip service to the God of Israel and puts Daniel and his friends into higher positions of power. But you just move a couple verses forward and then what? where does it go? It goes into a completely different narrative where the king is setting up a statue in his own honor. I mean, isn't it amazing that he goes from recognizing the God of Israel to then making himself what? The center of worship in his town. You know, I look at this and I'm kind of amazed at his in some ways, this bipolar approach to spirituality, but in reality, I look at this and I say, man, isn't that us? You see, I think King Nebuchadnezzar and us, and all of us, oftentimes struggle from what I would call spiritual amnesia. You know, many people say that when you get older, memory is the first thing to go, and maybe some of you can say amen to that. (laughs) And maybe there are certain things that are worth forgetting Or at least if you're old enough you could use that as an excuse If you do forget something, right? I'm looking forward to that excuse one day But so often it is true that our spiritual memory Tends to also be the first thing to go Let me explain that a little bit more We as people oftentimes deal with what I would call spiritual amnesia or a spiritual forgetfulness. And that is, is that so often we forget the things that God has done for us, right? I mean, it's so easy for us to pray, to see God move in our lives, and then what? The next week to repeat the same cycle of, God, where are you? Don't we do that? I mean, it's so easy to forget the ways that God has moved in our lives. In fact, one of the reasons why I've tried to keep a journal throughout my life is so that I can write down those times where God moves in my life. Why? Because I know that I, as a a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I'm oftentimes prone to forget the good things that God has done in my life. And so we see King Nebuchadnezzar doing what? We see him forgetting God's movement in his life. And instead of growing in obedience to Yahweh, what does he do? He decides to make himself God to his people. But don't we do that as well? We forget What the Lord has done for us. And then we make ourselves the center of worship within our own lives. But why is this wrong? Why is it wrong that King Nebuchadnezzar decided to set up a statue of himself? You see, if you didn't know the the sin that King Nebuchadnezzar was committing right now. It was a sin Of idolatry. Say that word with me. Idolatry. King Nebuchadnezzar is violating in very many ways the first couple of commandments to not have any other gods and that you shall not make images of worship. And yet, what does he do? He does exactly that. He sets up a gold statue of himself and, and then calls other people to worship it. Now, there might not be any statues in this city or in this church that we're calling you to worship, but make no mistake that idolatry is alive and well. You know, stories of idolatry within scripture oftentimes revolved around these kinds of image, right? The the Israelite people set up a golden calf, or King Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue of himself, and we kind of look at that and almost laugh, but in reality, idolatry is alive and well today. Why is that? An An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. You see, he was committing the sin of idolatry, but what idolatry is, by definition, is anything that takes the place of God in your life. Timothy Keller says it this way: An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give, to, that you seek to give you what only God can give you. I like that definition. I think it makes it pretty clear, and if anything, it probably helps us see that there is oftentimes idolatry in our own lives. Let me give you a few examples. The obvious one that many of us struggle with is an idolatry of possessions, right? We desire to have certain things, whether that's wealth, or material possessions that we can have and we do what? We make that an idol in our lives. You know it's a very sad state of affairs when somebody puts work or puts wanting to work for a certain thing above their family, above their faith, above all things. Why? Because that has become so important to them so to have anything else Feels like what? An interruption towards that goal. But I know many people that struggle with that. You need to be careful to not allow your ambitions to turn into idolatry towards what you can possess. In fact, oftentimes the things that end up happening when you allow yourself to become obsessed with possessions is those possessions end up taking a hold of your life and controlling you. I know many people who have allowed that to happen, being possessed by their own possessions. Another example of modern-day idolatry, believe it or not, is entertainment. Well, Pastor Kevin, what do you mean entertainment? Is it wrong to have a few of my favorite episodes of whatever that I like watching? No, of course not. It's a good thing to laugh. It's a good thing to be entertained. In fact, I hope in some ways, hopefully I'm not uh, entertainment in the sense that I'm comical when I try to come up here, but hopefully there's an enjoyment to what we do here. Although we do not try to commit ourselves to entertainment on a Sunday, it's a good thing to enjoy life and thus be entertained by the things that we enjoy. However, so many of us are driven by entertainment that if we are not having fun, if we are not being entertained, then what ends up happening? Well, we can't find a place for ourselves. I know people that 24 seven, they need to be entertained by devices on their phone. They have to have music running and shows running. being entertained. And if there's any feelings of discomfort or a lack of pleasure or a lack of having fun, then what do they do? They try to avoid those circumstances. And what ends up happening to that kind of person? Well, they lose themselves to the pursuit of always wanting to have entertainment, always wanting pleasure. That's really what it is right. What are some other forms of idolatry? I think we can make ourselves an idol, right? Or we make ourselves the center of the universe. And we make ourselves what is the most important thing. And we can even do that not only with ourselves, but with our relationships. That's always a surprising one, but believe it or not, you can wrongly idle people, even people that you're meant to love and commit yourselves to. I know some people who do it with their children. I know some people who do it with their spouses or with their boyfriends or girlfriends or even their boss at work because they want to do what? Make sure that they're pleased. And while it's never a wrong thing to love your spouse well, Or to love your children well. Or to desire to make good impressions on people who matter in your life. We need to be careful to not allow those things to take supremacy over what? God. Because what ends up happening when we do that? Well, we fail to actually love them in the correct ways. And we need to be careful of that. Because idolatry in the heart is just, at the end of the day, putting something above God. Putting something above God. And I think we all need to ask ourselves, well, how can we do that? Let's keep reading in Daniel chapter 3. Verse 4, it says this. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was not only misguided in making this statue, he was wrong. It was not a good thing for him to do this, right? He obviously struggled with what? He struggled with wanting to make himself the most important person in the world. And then in some ways believe that for himself. And then did what? Wanted others to do the same. He was self-centered selfish, and a total narcissist within this world, right? Where he wanted others to see him as the God that he felt like he was. He wanted people to worship him as a result of that. And he would punish anybody who didn't follow through in doing that. You see, church, Not only was King Nebuchadnezzar misguided, but he was doing what? He was misguiding others. He was calling others to commit idolatry. And if they didn't, they would suffer the consequences. Church, there are many people out in this world and many things out in this world that are trying to do the same thing to you, that want your heart that want your focus, that want your attention, and if you do not follow suit, then what happens? You will have to suffer the consequences. Evil is alive and well in this way, and there is always people out there that are trying to do just this. You know, believe it or not, it happens within the church as well, not just the Christian church, but within many religious organizations or really were anywhere that leaders exist. You know, one of the things that we've tried really hard within this church Is to be a movement of people. What do I mean by that? Is that this is a body of people. That you have voices within this congregation. It's why we even push things like membership. Why? Because we want your voice to matter within this place. And because of that, we want the focus to in some ways not just be up here on me or any one of the elders, but for that to be a shared weight that we have within this church. But I know many people who have suffered, unfortunately, to bad leadership, who have allowed their thoughts and allowed themselves to be manipulated and coerced by leaders who demand their devotion. You know, leaders, I believe, in Scripture are held to a higher standard. And bad leaders oftentimes do the following. They try to, what's called, manipulate you through B-I-T-E, through bite. They try to control your behavior. They try to control your information. They try to control your thought, the way that you think. And they try to control your emotions. And oftentimes that is considered the earmarks of what a cult leader is like. But in reality, I think a cult leader is really any leader who tries to use their power to make themselves what? The object of worship to people and themselves what? The rule of law. So believe it or not, I believe that you can have cult like leaders in places that are not even cults. Right? You can see what, what I would just call an authoritarian mindset in many kinds of places. And Nebuchadnezzar is doing just that. Right, He's trying to control the way people uh, behave. He's trying to control their thoughts, their emotion, and their information. And if they do not follow, then what ends up happening, he will snuff them out. This is a scary reality that we still see within history today. And it makes me wonder, well, how are we called to respond to this? Thankfully, Scripture shows us a really clear example of how to respond to this kind of evil. Through the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three men who stand up. To this situation. We're going to look more into the narrative of that next week and how they choose to stand up, but this week I wanted us to focus specifically on understanding what happens and why it's wrong when a leader calls us to devotion of them. Because church, this is something that we need to pay attention to even within our day. Why? Because oftentimes we worship what we behold. You worship, church, what you behold. And a great question to ask yourself is what are you beholden of in life? What are you beholden of in life? Perhaps a simpler way of saying that is, is what causes your mind to want to devote yourself to something, someone, some idea? And is that something, someone, some idea worthy of your worship? Or is it not? That's a good question to ask yourself. Because here's my belief, church. My belief is is that there is only one leader out there who is worthy of our praise, amen? That there is only one leader out there who is worthy of our worship. And one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ is the picture of his servant leadership. You see, where many men have called our devotions to themselves, Jesus led in a entirely different way. One of the beautiful things if you're reading through the gospel narrative during this season of Lent that you're constantly being reminded of in the life of Jesus is that he is what you call a servant leader. What does that mean? Is that he led through his heart of service towards other people. Probably the greatest picture of Jesus Christ being a servant leader, in my mind at least, is none other than when he washed the feet of his disciples. If you don't know that story, let me explain it to you a little bit in greater detail. Before Jesus would suffer on the cross... He was having a time with his disciples in preparation of the Passover. So he brings his disciples to this upper room. And he begins to disrobe himself. And goes down to his undergarments. If you didn't know within that culture. It would have been incredibly humbling. For a rabbi to be undressed and in their undergarments. In front of their disciples, why? Because rabbis were supposed to always be above and viewed as master above their students. So the fact that he would disrobe in front of these other men, and it, it was a, was a sign in some ways of humiliation in their culture. But really, what was Jesus trying to communicate was that when you love me, and when you're in relationship with me, and when you're about my business, it's not about looking at yourself as better as other people. If there was anybody in the room who was better than other people, it was Jesus. But yet, what does he demonstrate in that moment? Well, that we are all worthy of love. And that we are all equal in the eyes of God. And that even though Jesus is a rabbi, even though he is God, even though he is a prophet, even though he is our savior, he was still willing to humble himself before his disciples. You see, the world that he lived in wanted Jesus to be a military king, but Jesus was going to be the different kind of king. So then what does Jesus do? In his undergarments, he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Oftentimes, it was a normal ritual for the disciples or for anybody within their culture to wash their own feet. Why? Because they're... Because they lived in a time period where roads were unpaved, and as a result of that, people oftentimes had very dirty feet. So the fact that Jesus would go down and begin to clean the feet of his disciples was incredibly humbling. And the disciples felt all the more humbled by this gesture. Jesus wanted us in this image. To show us a clear picture of what love looks like. And the fact that when you lead people, you serve people. Too often we see that leadership is used with an iron fist. It's used with, I need to be at the center of the world. But really when we are leading as a church and when we are leading as Christians, we are calling people into what? Love and service of thy name. Church, we need to be careful with what we behold. And we need to be careful with idolatry. Why? Because we oftentimes become what we behold. And when we are beholden of the wrong things, what ends up happening? We become the wrong things. It was wrong for King Nebuchadnezzar. To set up that statue of himself. It was wrong for him. To call everybody. To worship that statue. From himself. And next week we're going to learn. How do you stand up. To people of power. When they call you to do something. Evil. And the stakes are high. We're going to look at that next week. So I pray and hope. That you'll join us for that time. But as we reflect on that this week, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are there any idols in your own life, whether it is a political idol, a a relational idol, the love of money, of entertainment, or something else that has taken all of your attention, that has caused your eyes and minds to drift away from Jesus as the King of Kings, to something else as that idol in your life? Has anything in your life taken the place of where God needs to be? If the answer to that is yes, then I encourage you during this next song to pray to the Lord, to ask Him to help you to remove that idol from your heart. Ask Him for your help, ask Him to help you tear down. Your idol, And I believe that if you do that and you allow the God of this universe to be the primary focus of your life, then what's going to end up happening is, is that if you oftentimes become what you behold, if you behold Him, then what ends up happening is you become more like Him. Amen? Amen. Let's do that together and join me in prayer.